the loss of people from the church is very rarely about the truth. People very rarely leave the Catholic Church because they've discovered something to be true in another place. They leave because they've found another good or something they regard as good in another place. Welcome to another episode of This Catholic Life, conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical, and joyful. Today's show is about changing our minds, or changing minds in general. I'm your host, Peter Holmes, and today I'm joined by Father Paul Rouse. Hello, Father. Hello, Peter. Good to be with you again. And you. Now, this topic might interest many people who are interested in changing other people's minds. So we have people around us, we, we think that they should have a different opinion than they do. Uh, they should perhaps support our sports team or perhaps uh, like our political party. Or more importantly, uh, we think that our faith is a, a better explanation of reality and a better way to live than theirs and we'd like them to change. Or we've seen perhaps that someone we love has changed their opinion. They've moved away from the faith into a different faith. And where we really, I ha, I'm quite often approached on this level to come and help me change my cousin's mind about joining the Mormons or something like that. And so today we're going to discuss the, the mechanisms of changing people's minds and including our own, hopefully. So what goes on in a human being? Why would we change our mind? Typically, we've received some evidence or a bit of information which doesn't accord with what we have received, and so we do a compare and contrast. We might examine the source of the information itself and perhaps start to form a different view. Uh, we change our minds typically because we've learned something better. we found something to be more convincing, more truthful than what we have. Uh, that's a good process because it means that we are conforming ourselves bit by bit to the truth as we understand it. So mm. there's a great deal to be said for uh, one's ability to understand the truth and also receptivity of the truth. When you think about it, unless you have complete faith in first impressions, we change our minds about everyone. In fact, all of my close friends, there's been some kind of conversation or incident that I can refer back to and remember that has changed my mind about them, that they, they are worth hanging out with kind of thing. Uh, my wife, great, thankfully, changed her mind about me after a particular weekend when she got very sick and I tried to nurse her back to health and it didn't mean much to me. I was just doing what I did, but apparently it changed her mind about me in many respects and she took me much more seriously after that. Um, event that was new data for her. She hadn't seen this caring side of me. She hadn't seen the kind of serious... Uh, prepared to muck down and do the hard yards kind of side of me, and that changed her understanding of me, thankfully. But also friends, you know, incidents that happen and the way they react to things and the way our observations of them can change our minds about friends one way or another. I think that our present COVID situation has changed a lot of minds about a lot of things. I think people are re-evaluating family structures and friendships and and how much they hated going to work every day has now changed <laughs> in terms of... Yes, but people start to love Parramatta Road now, which is just extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> the only way... I said this when I first came to Sydney, the only way possibly to love Parramatta Road is have everybody off it. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes, right. And preferably not be on it yourself. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. It was, the, the rules of traffic told to me by one of my best friends was 
Number one, avoid Parramatta Road. <laughs> number two, <laughs> in Sydney, back streets are the way. Number three is avoid Parramatta Road. There <laughs> is no rule four, and rule five is avoid Parramatta Road. <laughs> 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 but having driven it a, a few times um, recently, you're right. With no traffic on it, it's tolerable. I wouldn't have said I liked it, but it's tolerable. Well, I'm I'm the son of a bus driver, and I I happen to quite enjoy being behind the wheel of a car for some time. Uh, so taking the M5, the M2, the M4 when there's nobody on them, oh goodness me, it's just a pleasure, absolute pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? But that's how things are at the moment. So the new data, the new situation, has changed our mind. Quite often, I hear about people changing their minds on very important issues when they're confronted with an event. I, I remember speaking to uh, a fellow who is the centre of the pro-life organisation in Washington, D.C. at the time. This is back 15 years or so now. But he was a Baptist minister who didn't care much about uh, the abortion issue at all. But he unfortunately witnessed um, an abortion clinic loading its waste out the back and he investigated it and the, what he found there horrified him so much that he immediately became quite... Uh, involved in um, trying to help people make better decisions uh, with their life and to save lives. Um, now, that event, clearly, that one event, like five minutes of his life, has changed his entire mind and his entire life focus. He ended up becoming a Catholic and and being involved in the pro-life advocacy. I have changed my mind twice about my faith. Um, now, where I began life as a brethren, became a Lutheran, for 13 years and then now a Catholic for over 20. And those events weren't just simple events. I didn't just wander around one day and have a brainstorm. There's always some kind of trigger event. There was some research done in Washington again, um, which showed that uh, of all the converts who record their stories, all of them record an event which triggered the change of mind, some kind of crisis which help them to reevaluate the things that they took for granted. That intrigued me because almost nobody changes their mind when they're comfortable. Like <laughs> yes, so you're, you're right to try and identify a catalyst of some sort for a big change of mind. So you talk about changing your religious adherence. That's a very big one. Uh, look, uh, your wife's love for you, that, that will be a big one. Um, so in order, depending on how deeply seated the opinion might be, the, the harder the thing has to be, the, the greater the stimulus has to be in order to shift it along. Uh, so for something like your preference of ice cream, you know, it, that's not going to be something that requires a great deal of of uh, great deal of stimulus to change things. But It's because uh, it's not very significant. Precisely, precisely. The more significant it is, the more uh, more a stimulus we need. The more more of a shot in the arm that we need. I've noticed that in people when they're when I'm trying to encourage them to change their mind, and when I'm considering a change of mind of my own, that the consequences of the change weigh heavily on me. So, for example, when I was a Lutheran minister, thinking about the possibility of becoming Catholic, the the practical consequences of that decision weighed very heavily on me. I remember, I mean, because I'm like this, I drew up a list <laughs> of all of the consequences one way or the other. And, uh, you're uh, a debater on a pad of paper, are you? And indeed, I have to to get my mind straight on things. <laughs> and on, on the, the, uh, the reasons not 
to become a Catholic were was quite a long list, but all of it was very pragmatic things, uh, friendships, um, most importantly, family, um, the possibility that my wife would leave me because over half um, of converts lose their spouses when they convert that's, to Catholicism. That's very high, yeah. In ministers, at least. Um, the... Uh, the loss of my job, which was I loved, and and all of the things that came with that, so a huge amount of things. But in on the other side was simply that it was true. Mm. In other words, that the only thing enticing me to be Catholic at that time uh, was the truth. Now I have to say I only knew three Catholics really at that time. I had only spoken to three different people who were Catholics at all. So I, <laughs> I, I'm not having a go at Catholics that there was nothing at all to it's a good me. thing I you'd just... only met those three and those three. <laughs> We didn't Some know each people... other at that point, I hasten to add, Peter. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. We met each other <laughs> shortly after that. Having said that, the, the the consequences weigh heavily on decisions. So when I'm talking, for example, um, to someone who has left Catholicism and become a Mormon, it's rarely a conversation which hinges on the pure rational facts of the faiths. Uh, a Mormon at least in the experience I've had of people who've gone to the, the, the Mormon church, they're often enticed by relationships, by the assistance, by the fellowship that they receive, by the all of the the, the goods that are temporal and, and very attractive. Mm-hmm. And it, even if I'm discussing things with them and can absolutely prove beyond all reasonable doubt that that uh, it's incorrect, that, that their, their new beliefs are incorrect, it doesn't matter because that's not why they're there. And so perhaps changing people's minds requires us to fully understand why they believe what they do or why they've chosen to put themselves where they are. Yes. I mean, just, just returning to uh, something you, you hit upon a little earlier, which is uh, about relationships. So you, you talk about the cost, if you like, of changing one's mind. Uh, that really does affect our relationships. So it might be that we are losing out on something by adopting a different opinion based on new evidence that we've received. Uh, it might mean that we are gaining a great deal as well. So it, it would be just to try and find, uh, the, dare I say, the positive and positives and negatives of both staying and changing our mind. Um, it, it, the thing can be tipped in, uh, to an imbalance if we don't have a clear sense of what we're gaining uh, yeah, because we, we have a very clear understanding of what we have at the present time and because the, the life that we build for ourselves once our mind is changed and we act on it is not as clear, uh, it can be harder to do. Some people change their minds because they don't like where they are and they want something different. And so, for example, I've known some people who've, who've left um, the Catholic Church and gone to, I don't know, like Hillsong or something like that purely because they were very, very tired of their present situation in the Catholic Church and that it wasn't inspiring them in any way and they feel that there's some kind of inspiration to be had in the grass, in the greener grass on the other side kind of thing. And again, though, the change of mind there is less about um, just simply the facts or some sort of rational explanation of um, the faith and it's about what they, the, the goods that they're looking for. Indeed. Hmm. That, that's the, the great problem. We, I mean, the, the loss of people from the church is very rarely about the truth. People very rarely leave the Catholic Church because they've discovered something to be true in another place. They leave because they've found another good 
or something they regard as good in another place, be that you know anything from atheism to Hillsong, if that's not a terrible spectrum to chart. In some cases, they're repulsed by something they've seen in the church, which Correct. doesn't represent our Lord and yeah. it isn't consistent with the Christian faith, and they they simply can't bear to be in the vicinity of it anymore, so they, they move away. And in, in which case, the only sort of answer to that is to show them the truth which, by living it, because it's easy to say that that's not what the Catholic Church is, but until they see it in action, it's much harder to, to dispute. Yes. If, if there's past trauma there, you know, bad experience of some sort, uh, if there's fear that comes from being in anywhere, anywhere near a church or near a, near a priest and so forth, um, what does Scripture say? Love casts out fear. So hmm. a, a new relationship with someone who can be trusted or who isn't going to uh, perpetuate the trauma or the bad experience, that's what's to be sought. Now, that, what, that's what people find outside the church when they leave. That's understandable. But it's also possible within the church in terms of um, understanding this, it's probably worth asking ourselves the question, why do I hold the beliefs and the, the opinions that I do? Uh, is it just a personal taste thing or is it just something I grew up with? Uh, or have I, and in fact, more and more young people these days, uh, they don't just believe it because mum and dad did. They, they've come to believe it for their own reasons, which I think is a positive in our current setting. Very few people just uh, are Catholic because... <laughs> anymore, certainly not under 50. Um, they don't tend to choose to be Catholic just because Dad did or something. There is something valuable there that they've come looking for, but it's still worth asking the question, what am I here for? What's going on? I, I think we all ask ourselves that at some point. Uh, you think and ask, do? Oh, well, I, I'd be surprised if the, the mass, Sunday Mass going Catholic never asks themselves, especially during a bad sermon, why am I here? Uh, <laughs> During a bad sermon, <laughs> yes, but that—that's only why am I here in this particular church? <laughs> uh, well, it, for me at least, especially hearing a bad. I mean, there's a, a priest I know who who said that the worst part of his priesthood was hearing someone else preach. Right, it's um, I, I, <laughs> true of me. I, I can assure you. So. We, we move very quickly from the particular to the abstract. Why am I here listening to this bad sermon? Why am I even a Catholic? Why am I even right. alive at all? And and we do this, you know. It's a really extreme a, reaction to a, a sermon. Absurd <laughs> reaction. But, but you can see how, how it might begin from something small. So there is a distinction, isn't there, to be made between what we experience as adverse to our preferences and what might be truly desirable or undesirable about the situation that we're in. Right. Uh, if we make that distinction, then we've got a reason to stay or a reason to hold on or a reason to persevere in our opinion if it's well-formed. And we, we So let's use some examples. Uh, I became a Catholic because I believed it was true and there was no um, short-term or long-term enticement for me. There was no money in it for me. In fact, I lost a lot of money. I lost Almost all my friends' uh, family didn't speak to me for quite some time, so it was no worldly enticement except the truth. And that's a fairly stark example, and it was terrifying, to be honest, and it was a very difficult decision for those reasons. But let, let's say I've come to change my mind about lockdown, for example. Um, I don't know precisely what I think about it at the moment, <laughs> but... I, I'm trying to think of the conversations we've had, Peter, and I'm not sure what you think about lockdown anymore. <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, at first I said absolutely shut it down, lock it down, you know, you know, patrol the streets kind of thing um, because I'm terrified for my family. 
Um, there was two very vulnerable people in the house. And as it extended on, the temporary measure has become a semi-permanent measure almost. It's not so much that I've changed my mind, but I've reassessed whether this is a, a workable solution given the, the amount of time involved in it. Yes. And when I've seen several of friends who are struggling to make a living because their living means they go outside, uh, I've listened to the to the hurt expressed by many others and tried to tried to listen to that and say, well, yeah, there is a more subtle approach here and there's a more um, careful discussion to be had about what the appropriate measures are and what kind of exceptions we could make. And, and then I've watched them try to be reasonable in uh, press conferences and seen both the press and the public completely lose it and, and do mm. silly things in response and wonder, well, how do you get messaging? So there's all sorts of discussions and thinking that has to happen. But what I haven't seen out there is a lot of people um, changing their minds to subtle positions. It's either I'm totally 100% in favour of this or I'm totally 100% against that. Uh, it seems to be a quite a dangerous uh, thing because people are just trying to fit in with a group. Yes, it is. It is interesting. We're just starting now to see some articles in the papers and so forth about strategic lockdown. So there, there are some nuanced positions available on these things, which is great. I mean, it, that might raise the level of discourse that we have around us, uh, which would also be helpful for forming opinions on other subjects. So if we mm. can keep making distinctions and keep on uh, nuancing our position, that can be very helpful. One of the things that we've spoken about is, is receiving new information and true information. Um, and one of the problems we have is that the people telling us this information sometimes don't have pure motives. So the government wants us to behave in a certain way. They also want to get re-elected. Uh, they also want to, there is a genuinely good motive there. They don't want people to die because of their decisions. And so they have a whole range of mixed um, reasons. Now, in the past, we've experienced in the church what happens when we try to control the information that goes out of our <laughs> about ourselves, and it's not been a good experience that we've had. And we've learned the lesson that it's better to let uh, everyone know what's going on, even when it's not a good thing, uh, than it is to to hush something up. So, I wonder if. Um, Part of our problem with decision-making is the kind of information and the quality of information we're getting. That's certainly true. I, as you were speaking then, I was thinking about uh, the authority of those who uh, ad advise us or tell us what's going to happen and how authority proceeds not from position, as it were, but from righteousness, from uh, uprightness, shall we say. Uh, you, you listen very closely, or one listens very closely, to someone who doesn't really do things in a bad way or doesn't ever set a foot wrong. Right. Uh, we really respect those people who are genuinely holy. Uh, right. And we have very little uh, patience for people who make very obvious and silly flaws. Uh, and even good advice from someone who makes silly mistakes uh, isn't really listened to because of, of that their uh, opinion in our eyes. I was speaking to someone who has spent a lot of time in Europe working with governments in Europe and they was they were stunned at the lack of debate in Australia oh, yes. about about any of the measures that we're going into, into like vaccines and and the lockdown. Now I'm completely okay with the way things are going in terms of the government's attempts to deal with this but it's obviously not working very well. Uh, and we're not debating it, but the it seems as if the only levels of the debate are you go with the official line, whatever it is this week, 
or you say the government is entirely corrupt and this all completely bollocks and we should ignore it all and go and you know i don't know what the latest silly uh, remedy that they're spruiking <laughs> this week is but basically you know there's a kind of an appositional uh approach where either one or the other there's no kind of subtlety to the decision making process what about if we're just trying to get our friend to to change their mind about something that's not crucial to the faith so i don't know music style i have a friend who really really loves the guitar in mass and um <laughs> i'm afraid i'm not as fussed uh, about that now we we have quite a different opinion and we can have quite a feisty debate about it and and quite as you know it has it even though it's not of the faith um it is uh still a lively and important debate it shouldn't it's not trivial there's a Latin tag about this, and I'll see if I can remember it. De gustibus non est is disputandum. Uh, things of taste you're not to dispute about. So <laughs> whether whether the guitar is or is not or should or should not be played in the Mass it is at the moment a matter of taste. Uh, liturgical law being what it is, any instrument that can glorify God should be introduced into the liturgy as long as it can be done well. Um, but something that doesn't actually affect taste or the faith so shall we say something a bit more in the middle like the color of a traffic light or something i, I don't know right i'm pulling things right. out of the air um one one important thing that we can do for our friend if they show a sign that they are ready to hear a different opinion because they especially if they suspect that their opinion is not correct in itself start to give them an out that is a face-saving way to change their opinion because it's so much based in relationships uh, they've come to you for advice, for knowledge, for evidence, etc. And if you can give them also a, a good emotional way, a pathway to change their mind in front of you, then that will be the way that it happens. It won't be simply because you have told them. Uh, it, it just won't work. Mm. Yeah, yeah, because there has to be a um, a dignified way to change Correct. one's mind. and. You're very much less likely to change your mind if you know all of your friends are going to be mocking you and saying, I told you so, when you when you change your mind. A right. genuine <laughs> warm welcome for someone who has repented and, and changed their mind in a good way is always a better way of doing it. Right. That belittlement or that condemnation is what we see in parliaments. It's, right. it's the, the theatrical side of politics. Uh, you, know, you catch the other side out. Uh, in in the media, you know, you, it's it's often there that people are ridiculed or ostracised. You know, you deplatform someone who has a, a wrong opinion or changed their opinion. Yep. Um, we want to give people an opportunity to embrace the truth as they see it. But it's also a healthy thing, I think, if I have friends who I don't agree with. Oh, certainly. And and in fact, deliberately having friends who I don't agree with on all things. Now, obviously, there's a certain integrity I look for in a friendship and loyalty and and goodness of heart. But not agreeing with them on several things is a is a very valuable friend to have if they can disagree with you in good faith. Um, we should have a whole other episode on having an argument. I think a, a good argument. Yeah, and how to choose friends that would be a great one too. That's a very good point. We should do that maybe. Yeah. Okay. But in terms of cho having chosen my friends, I have some very valuable friends who aren't Christian and are completely have changed my mind on a few things. But I, I think, I hope that I've also helped them rethink some things themselves. 
uh, because it's good to test your ideas against someone who doesn't agree with you. If you're just sitting in an echo chamber and um, hearing the same opinions over and over, there's a danger of just atrophying, for starters, but um, uh, also being wrong, being tragically yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when when we hear a different opinion, we have to bring our best sympathy or empathy uh, because often what the person has expressed comes from an experience in their own life. So we're not just dealing with the the facts that we might hear or the opinion that what we, that might come out of their mouths. We're hearing the the tip of the iceberg, to use a cliche, uh, that that has its roots back in their own personal story. Yeah. So what's at stake here? What, what, what's right. it's not just about who's right and wrong in this debate, because you can win an argument and lose a person. You can yes. lose a friend. Yes, you can, just, you can win an argument, still be an idiot, though. Yes, yes. <laughs> you can you can win an argument, be right about something, but be wrong yes. in the way you've asserted it too. In terms of our own changing our own minds, it, it comes down, doesn't it? At least in the beginning, to the virtue of humility to acknowledge it is possible that I'm wrong. And that's it's a dangerous possibility, but it's a necessary one for us to, to, to not try and pretend we're God in some way, that we're infallible. There's a Snoopy comic. Is it Peanuts, is it? Is it where Snoopy? You're asking the wrong man. Anyway, the, the dog in, in Peanuts comics mm. um, is asked to write a book on theology, and he's first, he types his first line, and it is, have you ever considered that you may be wrong? <laughs> yes, yes. On a, on a slightly more serious but related note, there's an excellent uh, little booklet that we produced for a World Youth Day, and the opening line of it uh, was, "There was a time when you did not exist." Uh, <laughs> ju just to kind of you know arrest the reader and, and whip the carpet out from underneath them. Right. Same effect. So the, <laughs> I, I won't say the name of the uh, the uh, author of this booklet, but that person is now compared to the author of what is it, the Snoopy comics. So right, okay, their life so, would be complete. The whole of changing our minds is about admitting that we are growing, that yes. that we, we it's possible for us to grow, to to become better, to to genuinely engage with the truth. Uh, in in some respects, changing your mind doesn't. We're, we're probably more afraid of it undermining people's opinion of us as if we flip-flop around and we don't really have a grasp on the truth. But the capacity to change our minds when we're pre presented with evidence actually makes our opinions much stronger. It makes our grip on the truth much stronger because we, we're, it's much more related to what the, what the evidence is. Yes, exactly. That that commitment to truth is indispensable, and the, the the other half of it, or the other side of the coin, is to accept the limitations of our own understanding and perspective. So we all, we're always reaching out to something which is greater than ourselves that we can't exhaust its meaning, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but that means that we we must trust outside authority for a greater information about it. Mm. Well, that's probably a good place to wrap up this week's podcast if today's discussion got you thinking or arguing with us we hope it did you can subscribe to the podcast at thiscatholiclife.com.au or you can send us an email at info at thiscatholiclife.com.au hit us up on twitter instagram facebook or discord write us a review on itunes if you like we'll be back next week but that's all for now thank you for listening to this catholic life <music>